Telehell presents. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Uh, Mike, what are you doing? I'm introducing the show. But this is a regular episode, not one of our premium shows. But we are talking about a commercial, aren't we? I'm looking at the script and I can see all these references to Geico and Caveman. That was a commercial, wasn't it? Yeah, but that's not what we're going to be talking about. Didn't you read the rest of the script? Oh, good lord. Why would you ever want to talk about this? Because it's bad TV and bad TV is what we talk about. Just give us the regular intro, please. Your funeral? Joke's on you. I'm already dead. And now, who the hell am I anyway? This is Tele-Hell. In 1936, the government employees insurance company, or GEICO for short, was created in an effort to offer insurance to all kinds of people. And for the better part of its existence, it pretty much blended in with all the other insurance companies out there that were trying to do the same thing. But then sometime around the late 1990s, GEICO would begin to make its presence known by having itself be advertised in quirky ways, or at least quirky for an insurance company. Still paying too much for car insurance? Geico, a 15-minute call could save you 15% or more. And like many snowballs starting at the top of the hill, it would just get bigger from there. From the commercials being quirky and highly unorthodox for insurance companies to advertise themselves as, to the integration of recurring characters and spokes things. Check it out. Over 20 million drivers are insured with Geico, so get a free rate quote today. So you've turned me into a cartoon. Guess what day it is, huh? It's hump day. Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. Hump day! Get happy. Get Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Many of these characters and commercials were the brainchild of advertising firm The Martin Agency. In particular, real-life ad wizards Joe Larson and Noel Ritter, who in 2004 came up with Geico's next big mascot. One that started, as most Geico commercials do, with a simple joke being told within less than 15 seconds. It's so easy to use Geico.com, a caveman could do it. (laughs) What? Not cool. I did not know you were there. And like most simple ideas do, The Geico Caveman commercials wound up taking on a life of its own. Tone aside, historically, you guys have struggled to adapt. Yeah, right. Walking upright, discovering fire, inventing the wheel, laying the foundation for all mankind. You're right. Good point. Sorry we couldn't get that to you sooner. Connie, your reaction? Sounds like someone woke up on the wrong side of the rock. In all, a total of 22 commercials involving the cavemen would run from 2004 to roughly 2011. But it was right in the middle of the run of the campaign, somewhere around, say, the ninth or 10th commercial, where the Geico Cavemen would take on its next step on the evolutionary scale. In the development year of 2007, the ABC network was seeking out its next comedy hit, which was easier said than done because by that point in the network's history, comedy was in short supply, 
and they pretty much kept the lights on with dramas. Seeing how popular the Geico Cavemen commercials were at that time, somebody at ABC Disney had to have drank enough absinthe to think to themselves, if they can make people laugh in 30 seconds, think of the power we can harness with 30 minutes! A thought which, by the way, was not an unprecedented one, as there has been a track record of TV shows based on advertising campaigns in the past. Some good... Hey, Bert, it's me! I'm on TV! Others, we already told you why several dozen episodes ago. Hey, Bob here for Quiznos. Have you tried Quiznos Mesquite Chicken with Bacon Sub? I'm telling you when my molars grow in. Nevertheless, ABC Disney was not to be deterred. Although Geico itself was not involved in the show's production, they still gave ABC the blessing to use the characters as well as the creatives who helped bring them to life, namely co-creator Joe Lawson. But since this was his first TV show, the network wasn't just going to let him run a show cold. Fortunately, Lawson was already familiar with a writer-director duo who'd been working with him on the original Cavemen commercials, the team of William Speck and Josh Gordon. So for all three of them, the notion of taking one of their creations and giving it a life of its own was an opportunity not to be missed. There was a slight bump in the road, however, when it came to casting the Cavemen. Initially, the trio wanted the original actors from the commercials. Character actors Jeff Phillips, Ben Weber, John Lair, and Ben Wilson to revive their roles as the show's main characters. But network television being what it is, ABC decided to cast people who had slightly more experience in front of the camera than your standard commercial actor. Both sides eventually conceded, and the show's main lead would be cast with that veteran of stage and screen, Bill English. Uh, you know what? I fell into this trap before when looking up actors on a certain database, so from now on, I'm just going to assume that anybody who can act did much more than they advertised. Unlike co-star Sam Huntington, who I actually do recognize from a number of roles over the past 30 years, including his teen actor debut in the Tim Allen movie Jungle to Jungle. And the big city is going to get... What are you doing? Feed my chica. What's Matika? A little savage. Yeah, him. I'm just as surprised as you are. But the biggest name I recognize is probably going to be the biggest reason that I'll be able to get through this. I will give it to cats that they're, like, classy. They go to the bathroom in private. Like, I think that's pretty cool. Dogs are just like, Believe it or not, this show would actually be one of Nick Kroll's earliest TV roles if not his first, proving once and for all that sometimes you have to eat your vegetables before opening up your big mouth for dessert, so to speak. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm basically alone all the time. Of course. Then, as now, TV shows didn't just appear on the air. As keen as ABC was to have this show become the centerpiece of its 2007 TV season, the network still had to make sure it would play in Peoria, so to speak. So in the summer of 2007, the network under its own production banner and sister studio Touchstone Television would commission a pilot just to see if the idea of cavemen being pawns to sell insurance would be enough to give a 13-episode commitment to, even though Geico or insurance had nothing to do with the show. Fortunately, the idea that Lawson, Speck, and Gordon had for the show was a little more complex. 
the notion that cavemen were never really fully supplanted by modern humans, but rather integrated into Homo sapien civilization as a separate species subgroup. On the show, cavemen are a small but widespread minority group that have been present in every global civilization since the dawn of recorded history. Effectively, cavemen form another ethnic minority in the modern world, which also face several prejudices from Homo sapiens. Which, by no possible natural segue whatsoever, introduces us to our newest feature on the show slash de facto content warning. Tootie, the Wonder Elephant. And if Kim Fields ever listens to this, that's Tootie spelt with a Y, not an I-E, just so we're clear there. You see, with that much of a plot background, the thought occurs to us that we may be imminently and totally disqualified to talk about certain forms of subject matter. And Satan knows the last thing we want is to be caught with our pants down saying the wrong things, whether they be based on accuracy or, in this case, something potentially inflammatory. So with that, throughout this episode, anytime we come across a scene that may be questionable, no matter how well-intended the satire may be, you're going to hear the sound of Tootie chiming in. And I don't have to say a damn thing, because sometimes it's best to keep certain thoughts to yourself. With all of that said, let's take a look at the caveman pilot. The summer of 2007. The war in Iraq continued to be both unnecessary and unwinnable. The Simpsons finally make their way to a theater near you. And somewhere at ABC's network headquarters in Burbank, the executives at the network were ready to screen the show to TV critics that they were hoping would beat all the other ones for the 2007 fall season. What they got instead was this... Since the dawn of existence, only one noble race of human beings has withstood the test of time. Though many thought this unique breed of man was lost in the bitter winds of the Ice Age, here they are among us on the streets and sidewalks of modern life. These proud men and women may not look like you, but they're just like you. This is the story of three of them. After a montage of photoshopping that shows that cavemen had always existed throughout history, we get to meet three of them as they watch one of their own on TV perpetrating a crime. The robbery was caught by this in-store security camera. Great. Why do you have to be a caveman? Of course it's a caveman. They only put it on TV when it's a caveman. You think that was the only robbery that night? Mm -hmm. No, but it's the one they choose to show. And now the weather, which is also being delivered by one of their own. Clyde Redfield with a look at your holiday forecast. Hi, hey, great Oh, pizza. my God. Doing? I took this great shot uh, across the street from my house just to show you spring is in the air, which is really weird because it's summer, real hot. Are you and kidding me with this guy? Look at him. This guy's a joke. What, what do you mean? I love this guy. Come on, let's do a little Fourth of July dance. Come on. Dance with the man, the monkey. This is going to get old fast. I know it. As we cut to one of the cavemen's workplaces, a respectable job as a manager of a place known for selling Swedish furniture without actually using the Swedish name, because this is only a pilot and to use that name would count as product placement. But I digress. Anyway, our manager caveman is training somebody who clearly should not be working there. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to go on break. I'm gonna need a time, I need a time out. A hard one. Half hour, 40? Whatever you need, okay? Just, just stay positive, all right? You'll get through it, it's fine. I'm not worried about you at all. And I hope you enjoyed that scene because it is, arguably, one of the funnier ones that we're going to be witness to in this pilot. 
which is unfortunate because that only means that our main humor content will either have to try harder or fail faster. What's with the hat? The 4th of July barbecue at the country club. Right. Oh, awesome. It'll give me another chance to hang with your dad. I can finally get that blessing. Why are you so hung up on that? Without his blessing, I just feel like he's not accepting me, you know, especially after what happened. Baby, that, that really wasn't that big of a deal. I hit him in the head with a golf club. He was surprised more than anything else, really. I just hate that it played right into the stereotype. He knows it was an accident, right? Yes. Now, would you just put the hat on? I can't. I'm at work. After that series of sitcom cliches, followed by a caveman stereotype joke that almost flew over my head, we then try to counterpoint all of that with a stream of consciousness about cavemen being oppressed. If you think you can just blend right in with your snappy cocktail powder and your stylish hat, you are fooling yourself. You don't even know these people. No, I do know these people. They've been oppressing our people for 750,000 years. And you watch TV, it's all politically correct, but they air the Flintstones six times a day. I mean, it's just freaking hypocritical. Yabba dabba do. Seriously, don't, don't do that. As we move on to whether or not the main caveman could invite his brother and his friend to the country club. Look, I'm not going to be the only caveman there, am I? No, 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 of course not. Okay, good. There's the guy that, that works the omelet station and one of the tennis pros. Right, right, but no members. Well, I don't know. I would just feel a lot more comfortable if my boys were there. Okay, fine, they can come. Thank you. But they better dress up. Yeah, yeah, that's the last thing you have to worry about. Truth be told, I think the use of Are You Gonna Be My Girl by Jet may actually be the most offensive thing about this show so far. Well, that and the, uh, you know, the misguided racial allegory. But once again, I digress as the trio makes their way to the country club. One of them is dressed in normal attire, one is dressed in shorts and flip-flops, and the other is looking like Marty McFly in Back to the Future Part 3. Surely, nothing embarrassing will emerge from this. Yeah, I always wonder what Reba McIntyre would look like if she was a Cro-Magger. Please don't use that word. It's okay if we use it. It's not okay. You can't change a negative stereotype if you're out there reinforcing it. Magnum P.I., right. Magpie, Sir Magalot, Macaroni and Cheese. No, 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 keep them coming. Keep Jerry Maguire. Ooh, Toby Maguire. <laughs> Okay, surely nothing else that's embarrassing will come from this. Can you please check the list again? The last name? Again, it's Claybrook. I got no pass for Claybrook. This is exactly what I'm talking about, Jamie. I mean, that guard and this gate are here for one reason only. I hope they have deviled eggs. Did they let you vote? Yeah. Okay, positively nothing else of any level of embarrassment will befall our three protagonists. What's the sex like? Is it true what everyone says? Is it wild? I bet it's wild. Uh oh. Oh, it's true. It's true. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get Tootie some peanuts. He keeps trumpeting like that without a food break, he'll blow his nose clean off his face. Now then, what were you saying? Howdy, partner. I'm Thorn. Uh, Jamie. You know how to dance, cowboy? Just a seagull eat corn chips? <laughs> I think that line right there might have been racist towards seagulls. As Nick Kroll does what he does best in whatever it is he does, he helps save the day with italics and underlining on the word help. I mean, I get it. 
Daddy's girl wants to rebel, so she decided to take a little walk on the wild side. I happen to love Joel. Wouldn't it be easier to just maybe get a tattoo, slap a no fear sticker on your beamer? Maybe a little light shoplifting, a couple semi-nudes on the internet, a little tongue kissing, a little lesbian face. Oh, Mrs. Winston, hi. I want to introduce you to a great friend of mine. Nick, this is Mrs. Winston. She is actually the President General of United Daughters of the Confederacy. <laughs> Have fun. But enough silver linings. Let's rejoin our main Cro-Magnon as he tries to get on the good side of his fiance's family. I'm just practicing my swing. See, I, I didn't even know there's anybody nearby. You know, just nice and easy. And all of a sudden, boop, just like that. Just a little boop. Oh, I am so sorry. But, but notice she's fine. She's fine. You're fine, right? She's fine. A sentiment that I'm sure the executives at ABC were all thinking as they were sitting through the screening of this pilot. Act two begins with more of the same. And while the focus of everything seems to veer wildly back and forth, at least we can count on Nick Kroll to liven things up a little as he challenges the stereotypically rich Southerners to a game of horseshoes. Any of you fellas feel like losing all your money to a caveman? That's highly unlikely, kid. We're playing for $20 a game, son. Oh, isn't that cute? I'd say we should play for a hundy, but I don't want you girls to wet your panties. Ooh, Ooh, grab a shoe there, hotshot. Yeah, that should be highly entertaining. (laughs) We thank you, Nick Kroll, for making this pilot, at the very least, borderline bearable instead of pins and needles excruciating. Speaking of which, we then see the jungle-to-jungle caveman making a surprising amount of progress with a party girl. You want some? What is it? Just something my granddaddy makes in his garage. Sure. Uh, careful? Okay. Oh, it tastes like lighter fluid. From there, we keep jumping back and forth between him and the Nick Kroll caveman showing up the rich father and his friends. And while two out of three ain't bad, R.I.P. Mr. Loaf, our main caveman is feeling left out of everything. So much so that he finally grows a pair and talks to the fiance's father in the most inopportune of places. Oh, Mr. McKinney? Joel, I really need to talk to you. You know, your daughter Kate means a lot to me. She means a lot to me. Of course, yes, I, you know, I didn't mean to make it sound like she means more to me. It certainly shouldn't be a, a contest. It's good, because there is no contest. I, I agree. Now yep. let me tell you something, son. No daughter of mine is ever going to wash her clothes with a rock. What? And just as things become awkward, leave it once again to Nick Kroll to pull things from the brink. Oh, no, relax. Joe, how much cash you got on you? What? How much cash do you have on you? Uh, what do you need? Uh, I don't know, like 300 or so? I don't have 300. Well, I guess we got ourselves a little problem. No, I think you have a gambling problem. I have a gambling problem. These gambling. guys are cheaters. You are mouth, boy. Nobody calls me a cheater. You are. Before things get too intense, things become a different kind of intense with the jungle to jungle caveman and the party girl. Are you wild? I bet you are. What? I don't know, not really. I, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm really wild. You, you, you should see my high school yearbook. Literally everybody that wrote in it wrote to the wildest guy I know. Stop they, talking. It's going to be so freaky. Uh, got anything to say to that, Tootie? Nope, me neither. And now comes the part where it all comes to a head. Can we just talk about this? Oh, 
In case that wasn't clear, the main caveman fell into a burning pork roast, tried to regain his balance with a hot stick on fire, then swung the hot stick around, not unlike a club, while getting his shirt ripped open and spouting guttural caveman noises. But I'm sure all of that can be justified. Okay, okay, I know how this looks. But the thing is, it doesn't matter what I do or what I say. This is the way you're all going to see me. I'm okay with that. This is who I am. I'm a normal guy who makes stupid mistakes. I'm a guy who has, who has a brother and, and a best friend who, who can be complete jackasses. In other words, you know, I am just like all of you. But there's one difference, see, because I, I love Kate. And Kate loves me. And I don't care what you think. I'm going to marry her whether or not I get your stupid blessing. And before I go, I just want all you to know that you can kiss my ass. Yeah. (sighs) It's a sad state of affairs when a speech like that is actually making me pine for a canned applause track. But is all the effort worth it? Joel, I... Tag Hoyer. Enjoy that. So he gives him a watch? Is that supposed to be another caveman stereotype? Like, are they attracted to shiny things? Eh, Maybe I'm reading too much into that. Point is, Joel stood up for himself. And the rich father is at least somewhere near off the fence about having a caveman for a son-in-law. Yay? With a minute left, how do we tie things up? Unfortunately, it seems someone has stolen the tip jar uh, from the bartenders. If anyone has any information regarding this incident, please see me or any of the other board members. Are they looking at us? I think they're looking at us. Where's the car? Tootie, that's your cue. Normally, this would be the part of a TV screening where every single TV critic who was at that screening practically looked every ABC executive in the eye and wondered out loud, what the hell were you thinking? But unlike other pilots where the network would simply pass on it, there was one problem that the ABC network could not ignore. The fact that the network had put their name, their studio, and their revenue behind the production. And to drop it from the fall schedule at that point would be a waste of time, effort, and especially money. So, what was the network to do? Geico Cavemen. Spokes Creatures. A sitcom barely alive. Gentle demons, they can retool them. They have the technology. They have the capability to make a show that doesn't have an ample supply of racial undertones. Cavemen will be that show. Better than it was before. Better. Funnier. Less offensive. Now see, if Geico.com had taken that approach instead of telling everyone it's so easy a caveman can do it, I wouldn't be having an existential meltdown right now. We'll see at just what cost the show managed to make it onto the fall schedule and whether it would survive extinction. 
after the break. Geico.com, you can handle all your car insurance needs online. It's so easy, a caveman could do it. <laughs> Seriously, we apologize. We had no idea you guys were still around. Yeah, next time maybe do a little research. <laughs> Gentlemen, are we ready to order? I'll have the roast duck with the mango salsa. I don't have much of an appetite, thank you. Geico, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more of your This is normally the part of the show where we do a commercial for something that would make us a little extra coin or two. But this week, we want to talk about something very special that's going to be happening, hopefully next week or maybe the week of, I don't know. We're not exactly 100% sure of when this is supposed to drop. But they have assured me sometime around February 28th. And what that thing is, is that I'm going to be a guest on a wonderful show called TV Guidance Counselor. This is where a comedian named Ken Reed and I are going to be talking about a TV guide issue that was released at a certain point of, I guess you could say, my request. And we're going to talk about the shows that aired during that particular week of TV history and see where it connects with a whole lot of other things involving TV. It's pretty much a freeform conversation. It was a lot of fun to do, and we certainly hope you get to listen to it at tvguidancecounselor.com. Again, I believe it's supposed to drop sometime on February 28th, if not a little before or a little after. But it is going to be happening sometime around that time. So once again, tvguidancecounselor.com or wherever you stream podcasts. And now, let's talk about something else that we're doing this week. This week on Telehell's premium content of the dam. Like, you're slowly coming to realize that you may be down here because you think I'm trying to collect your soul, but it's it's really more like a terror kind of thing, like an increasing terror. Like, wait, I thought we were just doing things in the barter system. You send me old videotapes with commercials and we both advertise each other's shows. Oh, crap. You're not here to take my soul. Like, you don't have to be full Shatner or anything, but just like, that's what I mean by emoting. Okay. I give it, I give it a try. Yeah. Three, two, one. Wait, I thought we we're just doing things on the barter system. You send me old videotapes with commercials on them and you've come to collect. Calm down, Dave. The last thing I would do is pressure a sponsor. The only way to listen to Telehealth's premium content of the damned is by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash podcast. For just a few bucks a month, you can listen to our premium content and get some swag along the way. Once again, that's patreon.com slash podcast. And now... Back to this week's torture. October 2nd, 2007. TV networks were girding their loins for the upcoming writer's strike. And at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, ABC probably spent more time retooling this show than they put into more fitting efforts for that season that weren't established drama programs. Off the top, one of the major changes was a change in locale. In the pilot episode, the cavemen were reportedly living in Atlanta, Georgia. On the retooled show, the cavemen now find themselves living in San Diego. 
but will the new episode do anything to lighten the overall undertones of the show? So there's this tiny waitress, and she's carrying a rack of ribs so big that they can tip over a car made of stone. I just don't see what's so funny about it. Yabba dabba do. Don't. Ever. Okay, credit where credit's due. Right off the top, a marked improvement from the pilot episode's version of that same joke. Only instead of a long-winded speech about how the Flintstones is seen as a caveman minstrel show in the eyes of our protagonists, a quick five-second dismissal does the job more effectively. A.K.A. Less is more. Let's continue now with how the reworked pilot reworks Joel's brother. Now, remember, in the pilot, he was seen as sort of the ladies' Cro-Magnon man of the group while Joel was level-headed but wishy-washy. How exactly does that change? Susan, I'm... I'm... I'm, try, I'm trying to... I'm agreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you. Susan, now you're just being childish and hurtful. Give me it. No, I'm not going to give Just give me it. Goodbye, Susan. Thanks, Joel. We were having a really positive conversation. Andy, you came out here to San Diego to get away from her, right? Stop calling her. She called me. She slept with another man in your car while you were at the dentist. Yeah, well, I was in there for a really long time. You're an embarrassment. You're an embarrassment. By turning the brother from a ladies' man into somebody who gets easily pussy-whipped... Interesting 180 to take, but it's still early, as we get a quick cameo from one of the original participants of the Geico commercials. Possibly as a consolation prize for not appearing in the main cast. What the hell are you guys doing back here? These ladies aren't going to make sweet love to themselves. Or are they? (laughs) Tuck in your shirt, Andy. Now we get to see another deviation from the original pilot. Joel is still working at an Ikea ripoff, and he's still having wacky work-related problems with one of his co-workers. It's really very simple, right? It's three moves, okay? Just grab the lever here, lift up, and slide out. Okay, that's going to pinch me. No, 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 it's not going to pinch you. And it's really important that we show the customers just how simple it is, okay? So I want you to get in here, and I want you to practice it. Can we do it tomorrow? Nope, right now. Here we go. Okay. Lever... Damn it, I got pinched. Okay, Ray, what did you do wrong? I didn't believe in myself. And again, that moment was probably one of the better ones to be seen in both shows. As we now reintroduce ourselves to Joel's fiance, though in this show, she's been downgraded simply to girlfriend status. But regardless of her status, she still has the hots for those who are midway on the evolutionary scale. <laughs> that's dirty little messenger, Well, that's me, Kay. You dirty little Oh, love working here. Among the other upgrades in this reworked pilot, the fact that Joel's not-IKEA trainee has a little bit more to do. So much more that he actually helps ignite what the main story of the episode is going to be. That blonde girl's your girlfriend, the hot one? Why don't you tell me? Well, look, it's not because I'm not proud of her, okay? It's because my stupid roommate has got this whole thing about cavemen dating homo sapiens. Whoa, Tootie, whoa! I know it's been a few minutes since we've heard any racial undertones, but this was supposed to be the dialed-down version. Easy, boy, easy. But yes, it seems as though that things are a little inversed here. Instead of Joel trying to win over the family of his homo sapien fiancé, there's a distinct possibility that either one of them could be ashamed to be going out with each other over fear of scrutiny from their respective genuses, as evident by the title of the episode... Her Embarrassed of Caveman. Huh. Interesting title. Uh, 
Hang on, I got a hunch about something. Let's see. Episode 3 is called Nick Get Job. Episode 7 is called Rock Vote. Episode 8, Nick Jerk, Andy Work. Episode 9, Nick Sick. Why am I picturing this being read by a guy who grunts? Me, John, big tree. Or him. It's a hero of a lot better than this. Anyway, Act 2 starts with Nick Kroll continuing to prove that he's indispensable wherever he goes. Uh, by the way, I have zero dollars. Oh, I'll get it. Um, you think they'll take traveler's checks? Wow. Where did you get that? Grandma's on the run? Um, the savvy traveler. Indeed. Yep. You know what, though? I think I only have 50s and 100s. No, those will work. Yeah? Yeah, those will work fine. Okay. What do you say we go stimulate the local economy? <laughs> I know, it sounds like I'm heaping way too much praise on the guy, especially on a show like this. But it's pretty hard not to realize that Kroll is the arguable highlight of this show. Partly because he gets all the funny stuff, while Bill English gets stuck with the straight lines, and Sam Huntington does the complete opposite of what he did in the pilot. But Kroll's got a Kroll. Even if it turns out, years later, that this show was a textbook definition of baptism by fire for him, as he explains in this 2013 interview with Paul F. Tompkins. So we, we get nailed for being racist. <laughs> and it was a fascinating story because the press... Well, it was amazing to watch the press jump on itself to create its own story. So right. where they're like, so this is all black people. This is a, uh, an analogy for black people. It's like... Well, no, it's, a, it's all racist. Cayman are a, a, a metaphor for all of the minorities in the U.S. Yeah. And they said, well, then why are they good at sports in the pilot? You, well, you, you, one guy is really good at horseshoes. And I was like, well, sport? I don't know if that's a sport, uh, by the way. And then also... One guy collects baseball cards. Yeah, exactly. So he's great at sports. <laughs> so I was like, well, I'm the one who's throwing horseshoes, and I lose at horseshoes. So I'm not that good. And he's like, oh, okay. The next day, in reading it, it was like, hey, men is racist because they're good at sports. Like, you know, they had just, they, they built their story upon themselves. Right. So then we went into production. We had our first table read the next day, and all of a sudden, scripts were changing dramatically. Um, and we just were dealing with the onslaught and pressure and hate. Mm -hmm. um, because people love the commercials. And then, you know, the, the, the critics didn't like it. But what I always took solace in was that the public didn't either. And the next time I need to prove that the worst things have silver linings, Kroll's involvement with this show should be People's Exhibit A. Meanwhile, we get another victim of the show's retooling. In the pilot, this was the fiancé slash girlfriend's mother. Uh, do your friends like their meat cooked? Because I can have the kitchen staff put out a plate of raw burger if that's how they eat No, it. Mom, it's fine. They cook. Oh, I do. Well, there you go. I learned something. Well, you can forget all about that because now she's a completely different character. In this case, she's now the landlord of the apartment building where the cavemen live. Just in time to catch one of them in a, pardon the pun, primal act. You know I'm not one to pass judgment, but I would so appreciate it if when I'm trying to show a unit to prospective tenants, if you and your friends could keep down that primal grunting that you do. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm just going to go. I'm not passing judgment, Nick. I'm Joel. Well, not only that, Tootie, but did she forget that they moved the show to San Diego? I mean, I know it's Southern California, but it's not that kind of South. 
Anyway, Joel checks in to see what the hubbub is with his bubs, which just turned out to be them playing some good old-fashioned Wii boxing. Remember that? When Joel lays everything out on the line for the lady friend that he's dating. I've got some news for you, all right? Uh Uh-huh. Kate is hot. Yeah? She is smoking hot. Uh Uh-huh. And I'm not hiding her from you guys, all right? I'm protecting her from all your small-minded crap. Not wanting your friend to date a hog is not small-minded. It's actually being deeply caring. Oh, well, since you're so caring, I'm sure you won't mind this. Kate's a saint. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Are you serious? Boom! Uh, Actually, uh, can we reverse that, please? Of all the changes that were made from the pilot to the first aired episode, this part where the cavemen talk about how it's wrong to date a homo sapien, believe it or not, is actually a pretty smart way to use racial allegories without being overly blatant about it on the surface. Here we go, time for the lecture. It's a good rule, Joel. Keep your Your penis penis in in your your genus. (laughs) Okay, I didn't say it was a brilliant scene, but just, just give them a chance. So her friends have welcomed you with open arms? Yes. I'm sure they will. Oh, interesting use of tense there. So either they haven't warmed up to you or, and this is so pregnant with meaning, they haven't met you yet. Face it, Joel, she is ashamed of you. We just haven't gotten around to it, okay? It's really not that big of a deal. We're now joined by another caveman. But this one you might recognize from the original Geico commercials, as he and Joel discuss life over a game of squash. Yes, squash. A game so easy, even a caveman could play it. She's not ashamed of you, she's ashamed of herself. What? Her yearnings, her desires. Sapien women see us as the forbidden fruit. You think that will take them to a place sexually that they've never been before? Which we do. Absolutely, Nicholas. You gave her a little taste of something that she ain't getting nowhere else. And afterwards, they feel naked, utterly transformed. Walking down the street, they think to themselves, everyone can tell, everyone knows what I've done. So they have to drive their impulses underground. Look, can we just play some squash, please? So with that much of a motivation, we kick off the final part with Joel invading his girlfriend's so-called ladies' night, only to find out once and for all if she is actually ashamed to be with him among friends, or whether or not the fear of rejection was all in his mind. For the sake of this attempting to be a sitcom, I'm going to say that results will toe the line between hijinktacular and shenanigantastic. Kate? I like you, a lot, but I'm not going to be hidden away like some deformed cat, okay? What? It's an expression. Okay, um, well, Joel, this is everybody. Everybody, this is Joel. We're dating. Hi, great to meet you. Hi. Hello. Another caveman? Okay, probably should have calibrated the range between Michael Scott and Larry David levels of awkward instead, which is something I'd care more about were it not the formula for about 99% of the sitcoms that have aired in the mid to late 2000s. And that, ladies and gentle demons, is probably the biggest problem that this show had. A massive overdoing it on the course correction. So much so that, of course, everything has to be tied up in a nice little package by the time the credits roll. So you could do worse dating a save, I guess. I'll take that as a compliment. Shit. Oh, and FYI, not only is she not ashamed of me, she's actually dated a couple of cavemen before me. So, sorry to break it to you, but it looks like her and I are the real deal. Okay. What? No, I just, I thought you were going to say that she had a fetish. What? No. Because <laughs> she dated a caveman before? Or two? Or however many? I mean, that, that hardly makes it a fetish. No? Look, cut it out, okay? 
No problem, man. It's already in your head. In spite of some marked improvements over the original pilot, Caveman would prove to be the ABC Network's missing link for the 2007 season, airing only six of the 13 produced episodes before it got canned that November. Sure, it did premiere relatively strong, winning its time slot when it debuted. But as is the case with televised oddities, those numbers were largely out of curiosity. In the weeks that followed, word got around as to how bad, nay, formulaic the show truly was, largely thanks to the critics who were none too eager to make sure that the cavemen should have stuck to inventing fire in the wheel. The Chicago Tribune declared it one of the 25 worst TV shows of all time, while the New York Post declared the show extinct on arrival. And when all was said and done, the show was ultimately ranked as the 107th rated TV show that season. The show became such a joke among the TV community that the character's originator, Geico, felt that the only way to get past it was to pretty much laugh at itself, which it did in this commercial that aired during the big game of 2008. A TV show about us. What was the deal with that makeup? Exactly. Why not just use real cavemen? Well, I thought their diction was good. You could hear everything they were saying. At least they didn't say, it's so easy. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, where does Caveman find itself on the evolutionary ladder of Telehell? Couldn't have said it better, Tootie. Let's trumpet our way down the nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery. If you thought Viva Lachlan was the worst show to premiere in the 2007 TV season, it still is. But Cavemen comes a close second in spite of airing more episodes than the former. Though in spite of the 13 episodes produced, only six of them aired in the United States. More of them did air in other countries, but it's the stars and stripes that count here. So we gotta ring it for Limbo. As for the constant elephant in the room, I'm not against political correctness or incorrectness. After all, some of the greatest TV shows of all time, most often than not, the shows that Norman Lear ever did, made their bones by pushing the envelope, while at the same time acted as pointed social commentary. To be able to do a show of that caliber in the 21st century when everything is constantly being scrutinized with a microscope is going to make the task a little harder to pull off, but not entirely impossible. The pilot episode of Cavemen tried to do that, but because of all the wrath that ABC got when they screened it to critics, the show had to be fixed in a way that would appeal to all audiences while still maintaining the show's integrity, what little of it that it had to begin with. Unfortunately, ABC wound up fixing it so much that the original product was practically a watered-down, nay, fraudulent version of what was originally intended. And all thanks to the network scrambling to try and fix their mistakes, but ultimately winding up with self-inflicted treachery because of it. But in spite of any and all racial undertones, overtones, or just blatantly expressing it, the other reason why the show failed was simply because it just wasn't funny. The original Geico commercials worked because there was only 30 seconds to work with each time, and the overall absurdity of the spots made them fun to watch. Trying to stretch out that absurdity over 22 minutes is going to diminish the product and ultimately squander any goodwill that the original product may have established. Thankfully, Geico itself had nothing to do with the show, but for everybody else involved, a special kind of gluttony for thinking that this was a show that people were actually clamoring to see. And you wonder why Flo from Progressive will never get her own sitcom. Uh, speaking of which, uh, looking at all the other episodes, 
The lady who plays Flo actually does appear in a couple episodes of the show. This doesn't really do anything to hinder the show altogether, but in retrospect, the universe should have collapsed at that point. Caveman earns five out of nine circles of telehell. And, I'll be honest, talking about so-called controversial shows can really take a lot out of a lost soul. That being said, it's been a while since we've taken a look at a show that pretty much got rejected because the concept was simply dumb. Fun, but dumb. And thankfully, we don't need any elephants in the room to talk about it. <coughs> Calm down, Tootie. I'm about to tell them. This is the tease for the next one. Next time on Telehell, a concept for a sitcom so dumb that I'm just going to let the great Ernie Anderson try to describe it. Meet Detective Holmes and his robot partner, Yoyanovich. Well, see you tomorrow, partner. I got a date tonight. Hey, Alex, what do you do on a date? You have dinner, you go dancing, you hug a little, you kiss a little, you neck a little. Sounds like fun. What do you do all that with? With a woman. Oh, I'll make a note of that. Holmes and yo Until then. If it's not in Telehell, it's not worth a damn. Our thanks once again to our announcer, Mike Porter, for taking part in our little opening bit. And also, as a friendly reminder, listen for me on Ken Reed's TV Guidance Counselor podcast. Hopefully sometime around February 28th, could be earlier, could be later. But look for that at tvguidancecounselor.com or wherever you stream podcasts. And now, here are the rest of the credits. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Now that everybody is getting mysterious chemicals injected into their arms, that can only mean one thing. It's almost safe to socialize with people again. So why not get a head start on that and follow us on our social feeds? Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. By the way, shows like these aren't cheap. Do what you can and can what you do at patreon.com slash Podcast. Mm-hmm.